Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Let's Talk Records. I know it's been it's been a hot minute since we've released another episode. Um, and it's because we're yet again restructuring things to try to forever make it easier on you guys to listen to us. Um, so we've got a, a new episode today and we're kind of trying out a new format for you guys, where in the past we have consistently chosen two albums and to compare um what we found is that what we've liked the most about our episodes and talking to each other about these albums is that we love dissecting an album and we love talking about each song and going track by track and really diving into it and that takes a long time to do when you're talking about two albums per podcast um so we're going to try try things a little differently. And today we're going to just talk about one, one album today. And we'll still do the whole, I'll give Jen an album. Jen will give me an album. So we'll still make links and talk about how music affects other pieces of music. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think, yeah, just as Emily was saying, taking a deep dive on one piece at a time, um, we're a little excited to be able to to give each piece maybe some more energy that Mm -hmm. um, was getting lost in the sauce before. Yeah, exactly. And I didn't, I didn't introduce, (laughs) I didn't introduce (laughs) ourselves, but we're Emily and Jen. Hello. (laughs) Welcome to Let's Talk Records (laughs) 3.0. If you're a first time listener, welcome. Welcome. We're, we're two friends um, that have been best friends for a good portion of our lives and Mm -hmm. We love music and we want to talk about music with uh, each other and with you and with everyone. And that's our, that's our thing here. At it Stock is. <laughs> Perfect. I love that. Tell the audience what album we are talking about today, Jen. So today we're talking about Fear Caller by The Almost. Um, it was released on October 18th of 2019. So it was pretty recent. Um, I an album that was released just before the, um, the pandemonium began. Um, <laughs> I hate calling it the pandemic. Everyone is like, Oh, the pandemic. Um, and it's sad and it's frustrating to talk about. So the panorama, uh, love it. and we all know it, but this yeah. was, this was although released just before, um, very affected by it, unfortunately. So, mm-hmm. um, it, it, I don't know, in a way I kind of consider this a pandemic album. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. I love, I love the idea of not calling the pandemic, the <laughs> pandemic, the pandemonium, the pan, <sighs> the Panama, the Panama, pan, the Panama canal. canal. <laughs> we'll call it that. Oh. When the Panama canal hit oh. and we all had to stay inside. That one, that, that one, that, that one, that instant. <laughs> um yeah no this this is a good one tell me so tell me a little bit more about the artist because I think this is an interesting one and if people are just coming in and they're like oh yeah the almost like well it's an interesting story I think and I love first of all love Aaron like I I'm kind of getting ahead of myself but I (laughs) already shared with you that I was really excited to talk about this album I think Aaron is probably one of the coolest people and I don't even know him yeah I I feel that way too 
um, I don't know. There's something very interesting about that human. And um, I enjoy how down to earth and just like regular person he seems Mm -hmm. Um, as an artist. He's a very cool guy. um, And he's definitely had a very interesting evolution. I kind of want to hear you tell the story because um, I I just, I don't know. I'll interject and put in missing details, I guess. But um, I followed this since like as this was evolving. So I, yeah, I want to hear it from you, like to connect all the dots. Like it's, it is a crazy story. Yeah. So my understanding is, well, obviously, so Aaron, is it Gillespie? Gillespie. Or it's not Gillespie. It's a hard G. G. Hard G. A hard G. G. <laughs> Aaron Gillespie. Um, so he was the drummer for under or is the drummer for under oath. And he started yeah. I didn't realize how young he was when this all started. So Under Oath is from Florida. They were like a local band. Aaron was 17. Something like that. Young. When he started drumming for them. And they were like a really religious band. Like they were like a Christian band. And Aaron grew up super religious. His parents were really religious. Yeah. They helped with the church. They were very religious. Like this was someone that was... Surra- I would assume surrounded by yeah. Christian religion. So then, Southern Christian religion. So he, you know, and was like, it was really interesting because I was watching one of the interviews where he was talking about how like he was almost like ashamed of playing drums. Like he felt like it was like a sin. And someone from the church looked at him and was like, um, when you play drums, I see God all over you. Like this is what you're supposed to be doing. Yeah, and that, that was, a that was really line. powerful, right? So he was like, okay, great, you know, and took that and ran with it. And another thing that he like had shared was that like, you know, he knew that this is what he wanted to do. He was going to do it so hard and it didn't matter like what he had to do to do it. Like he was going to play drums. Um, so I thought that was so cool. And like, no sooner did he like have this conversation, he like got a call from the band under oath and like they immediately started making music together and then took off like crazy and they were touring with band other bands that they were the only Christian band that they that was on tour with these other bands and felt like it was kind of their duty to like kind of bring that vision and like that energy um to to that world of music where that wasn't super like prevalent um and he's like known as an incredible drummer like people really really respect like his abilities which I think is really cool um but then he said he started a side project himself um called The Almost and then what I found was really interesting is that this album like how many albums is there like four or five previous to this one I think there's four Southern Weather Monster Monster Fear in Our Bones and then Fear Collar so and double check myself as you go on. But the last, so this album came six years after the last album was released. So this is like there was a long period of time where he wasn't working on music for for himself. Um, and what I love about how he describes this side project is he describes it as like his diary, and yeah. it's like all the things that you know that he feels is going through whatever all of it is really just for him and I think that's super cool and he did all almost all of the music on this album he 
did all the instruments, like played all the instruments, except for like the saxophone, I think. Yes. It's a very like Bryce Avery rocket summer yes. situation. Yes. That's what it reminds me of. Yes. And there's actually, it's funny that you say that because I make a reference to that one of one of those songs by the rocket summer in our track by track. So oh, I will okay. talk to you about it later, but, um, really incredible, like really cool to know that like this person not only has incredible music skills when it comes to like percussion, but can do pretty, can pick up pretty much anything, which like, I watched that live video of him like playing songs, um, off of this album. And like, all he had was the kick drum and his guitar and his microphone and like him being able to coordinate that like it's hard enough to just sing and play guitar to have to like also have some sort of like <laughs> beat going on in the background and like keep time. Like, I don't know. I was just like, maybe I think that's cool because I can't do anything <laughs> musically. Wow. What an incredible guy. I think he's probably one of the only people that I've like watched in interviews be really into the questions and be like very just like sweet and honest and like be excited to answer questions about music, whether it be other artists or his own music. Um, I think that his story is really cool. Cause I mean, going back to like the religious part under, and you've shared this with me too, when you've like shared about under oath is that they were like known as this religious band and then they kind of like stepped away from it and then there was a time where even like Aaron was like yeah religion shouldn't be in music at all so it's an interesting sort of thing to to watch over time as this person developed from being like a 16 17 year old person coming out of what the only world they knew and then traveling the world with this band and meeting other people and seeing different perspectives and realizing like, you know, had that acceptance overall and love overall is like the most important thing. And like, if that's the message that you're spreading through your music, then that's what matters. Not that you have to be like, you know, it's not like a call to Jesus moment. Like it can actually just be like, Hey, we're all here to like, have a good time. <laughs> um, so I thought that that was interesting to watch that, like, transition of him from like early early interviews to now and just his outspokenness about like his own personal battles and that is I think a huge theme in this album too big time yeah I mean you've said it so well that it it was like a huge paradigm shift it seems like and what an interesting one what a very difficult one to grow with and evolve with um I mean, very prolific songwriter, very talented songwriter and very talented musician. Um, you know, there was a period of time in there where he put out some worship albums and did some music with that. And um, although that wasn't the right space for him, he says now, you know, that happened. And then one of the things I find really, really interesting about him as a musician, like as a drummer, is in 2013, he was tapped to play drums for Paramore. And he had oh, yeah, that's for right for four years. Mm -hmm. And like, it was good. They're a powerful live act to go for. And I mean, there's no shortage of power in his drumming. So like, of course it fits, but like, it was great. So, you know, listeners out there, if you saw the self-titled tour in 2013, or if you saw that you know the next kind of four years of shows with that Parahoy one and two 
you've seen Aaron perform. Um, oh, that's so cool. He was on Parahoy. He was twice. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I like remember <laughs> it's just so weird. Parahoy is a, it's a, it's a different thing. And you watch a lot of people just like, um, not know how to act being stuck on the same like ship as people that they admire. Um, but in, it, they're just people. And it just like, he's one of those people that makes me laugh. The newfound glory guys always used to make me laugh, like with how normal they were. But like, I remember seeing him around and like going to get snacks in like the food hall at like 3am. And he was just like getting cheese fries with everyone else and like laughing with whoever was next to him. So like, it was cool to have him around. Very interesting person to have in that era of Paramore um, mm. but with that team. Um, and he's talked about the fact that like, that was, you know, of course, more of a job than um, writing your own music is and kind of having that creative control. Um, but he did enjoy it. And it, he says it made him a better drummer, which I think is so interesting to, mm -hmm. to be, um, he says he was burnt out and then they called for that job. And he was like, you know what, like, let's do it. And it started off very short term and then just rolled into this multi-year thing. And then Under Oath get back, got back together and Zach ended up coming back to the band at that same time. That was probably around 2016. Um, so all in well, you know, he left on good terms as well, it seems, but um, to, yeah, to like be burnt out and then go and do something that moves you through the motions of the skill or use your skill set, right. Of, you know, what you're used to doing, but not putting any creative backing into it is such an interesting place to be when you are creatively burnt out. Mm -hmm. um, I feel like I've definitely gone through periods of that in just like visual art making and like, it's so silly, but like you start to just like play with Play-Doh or you just, just like, I don't know, do color studies or very just like you use your skill set in a, in a non-creative way. And that can, that can help so much, like grow you as an artist. Of course, your skills are getting better and sharper, but it, it keeps the gears moving, even when there's no like heart that's keeping them moving. Mm -hmm. So then when the heart starts up again, you can kind of just jump right back into it. So mm -hmm. That's what I got from that. I thought it was interesting. You know, what a, what an interesting point in his career to to work with such a big band and be going through that like difficulty and mm -hmm. um and creative burnout. Yeah. Yeah, that's crazy. I mean, a lot of the times too, especially, I mean, stylistically under oath and paramour, they're different. <laughs> very different. Very they're very different. different. So, I'm sure it really forced him to step outside of what he knew. And often, you know, when you do that, like the famous fit, the famous thing that people say is you step outside your comfort zone and that's when you really learn and you grow from that. And I'm sure he had, he probably built like much more of an appreciation for the thing that he's really great at because of sure. that. And so. I, I think, yeah, even more to touch on that, the interview I watched that he was like talking a lot about that experience mm -hmm. is like the appreciation came in more of like the skill of drumming mm -hmm. and not so much like the art of drumming, right? Mm -hmm. Like you, you, you can be an expressive musician and maybe not the best musician, but you're still a great musician because you're playing with heart and passion and, and you're giving your all and, you know, your performance ship and whatever else, but like to play for anyone else's stuff, you have to be technically good and mm -hmm. you have to 
match what they need technically. And Paramore is one of those bands that demands a good amount of technical skill to be Mm -hmm. able to like add to their live presentation because everyone in that band is so talented. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure that they were very specific when looking for like a tour session drummer, you know? Yeah. So that's, that's cool. Good for him. Yeah. I mean, if nothing else, I'm sure that was uh, a great paycheck, which is nice. (laughs) And I, uh, I'm just happy to see, you know, like someone that talented be of use Mm -hmm. uh, and be able to, to use that. Mm -hmm. I agree. I agree. As a Paramore and Under Oath fan, that was a great four years. Yeah. I love that. This is really cool. This is awesome. (laughs) Yeah. That's so cool. What a great, you know, meeting of the minds. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. That was that. That's like, that was me. That's like the manifestation (laughs) of me. So it really is. It really is. Very cool. With this album being the latest from the almost, um, I don't know if you're familiar with a ton of their other stuff. Only but, like um, a couple of songs here and there that like became popular. You know what I mean? Fair. Yeah. I think this is the best. Uh, see, I, okay. I still love the first album, Southern Weather, so, so much. And I love a lot on Monster Monster. I really, I like a lot of the Almost catalog. Like I really, res- I respect it all. I love a lot of it. Mm-hmm. This album I like it is I think it's the best thing he's made for the almost wow I love southern weather but this is just it's different it's mm. I love it in such a different way but like I think I can objectively look at it and say that it's the best thing he's made which I mean makes sense southern weather came out in 2007 like it's been such a long time and a lot of growth and life experiences and stuff and, you know, accessibility to, to people that he worked with and, or, you know, one person in particular that we'll talk about um, and just all of that stuff. But I, I feel like this album is quite a masterpiece. Mm-hmm. Like it's something to be proud of. It's um, it's mind blowing. Yeah, I can see that. And even though I'm not as familiar with his past albums, I, this album is definitely like very mature. And like, you can just tell by its construction and like lyrically, musically, and just listening to him, like talk about the production of it is like, you can tell that, that there's so much heart in it, even just from listening to it. It is very, very well done, you know? Yeah. Hugely just, you can, I don't know. I almost feel, so this album was made in Joshua tree in California Mm -hmm. in that area of the desert. And I can I can feel it so much. Like, yes, I can't explain it, but environmental wise, like they nailed it. Just, you feel like you're there. Mm -hmm. And it's so funny because before I had realized where it was filmed, there's one song in particular where I was like, oh, it feels like I'm like walking down a road in the middle of the desert and just kicking sand. Like that's That's what it feels. It felt very desolate, very barren and had that feeling. So once I realized that it was, that it was all recorded there, I was like, that makes so much sense. Yeah. So really cool to be able to encapsulate 
encapsulate. I can never say that word. <laughs> yeah, encapsulate. Why do I want to do, why do I want to put an E in there? <laughs> encapsulate. It still doesn't sound right. <laughs> You're right though. You're right. To be able to, to be able to do that, to be able to take a place and write an album that puts you there. Yeah. Whether you knew it or not is great writing. Like, yeah. I mean, that's a, that's a whole different level of skill and mm -hmm. story building and just senses, right? Like mm -hmm. there's something about how this album plays on a lot of the senses, which is wild because, you know, yeah, sonically, it only should cover one sense, right? But this pulls in so many things that's like either cognitive or it's just magic. We're just going to call it magic. Yeah, I love that. Great. <laughs> Perfect. Um, was that sort of like your first impression of the album, would you say? Like how you, like, are you saying that like this, when did you first listen to this album? So I definitely listened to it when it was coming out. Like I remember the single being rolled out and the single was chokehold and we'll talk about that. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, pretty much right away. I think I even was on top of my stuff enough that I did listen to this when it actually came out. Because mm -hmm. usually I, that's, you know, Aaron's work and the almost and usually those are things that are on the top of my list and I'm like hyper aware of. And those are the things that I, I do want to consume as soon as they come out. I don't just like sit on them. Mm -hmm. And I think this is one of them. I think I did listen to it and I must have because I saw, so he was one of the only concerts that I saw in January. Um, he did a tour where he did Southern weather in an entirety and then sprinkled in some songs from fear caller. Oh, wow. um, so I think I already had tickets when this album came out. So I was already pretty hyped, but in normal, you know, usual routine, uh, this is something that I would have picked up right away. Mm, gotcha. Okay. That's cool. I have one more note about the producer, which will, I think you'll have some thoughts on it and might kind of alter, um, what you might say, but I just, wanted to drop a note that he went out into Joshua Tree with himself and um, a producer he was good friends with that had actually just helped make Under Oath, helped Under Oath make Erase Me, which was the album that they reformed and came back with. Okay. So great, you know, good friend. They just came off of this good thing. Aaron calls him up. They end up working together on this. So Aaron and this producer had into the desert. This producer is Matt Squire. Matt Squire is responsible for a shit ton of music that peppered like a lot of the alternative scenes in 2016. Um, we're talking about uh, a couple of 303's albums, um, some stuff with uh, the original Boys Like Girls album. Um, he wrote on Cardiology by Good Charlotte, which is really interesting. Wow. Um, he produced and engineered neck deeps all intentional distortions are intentional oh my god um, uh-huh he produced mastered and engineered panic at the discos first album um there i mean there's a lot on this list he's definitely an interesting one to look up but uh you know he worked with the main on you are okay and also their first album can't stop won't stop um it's it's wild and then he's written on so many things like he was a producer and engineer on um that song starstruck by Katy perry and 303 <laughs> which 
think shows his range. No Shade, that's one of my favorite songs for dumb reasons. Yeah. But um, he also wrote on a, a Mowgli song called Make It Right, which is uh, one of my favorite Mowgli songs. So that was one out of left field that I was like, oh, cool. Wow. Um, okay. So many things. He's done a couple of things with bigger pop stars like Demi Lovato and Selena Gomez. Um, I see a, a Kesha one on here. Um, and like, you know, David Archuleta, there's a writing credit. So he's really been around. I say, I, I feel like his, his base seems to be alternative music, of course, but like, um, he has a lot of, a lot of diversity in what he works on, which I Mm. think is cool. So, um, yeah, looking at that resume of projects and then pulling it back is, uh, is really, really interesting, especially like thinking of him working on, uh boys like girls for set like for instance and then working on an album like this mm-hmm. talented guy. that makes sense I think you know it's interesting that you say that because I I felt and heard a lot of different styles within this album like sure. sometimes you get an album and you're like cool like yep this is very like you know exactly what I expected it to be like this is the style it follows that through every song maybe there's a little variation but you get what you what you expect and that is not how I felt (laughs) so yeah so what yeah elaborate then what was your first impression on this piece um first like listen through I was like this is like a lot it's so funny I'm like listening to the first couple songs I'm like oh yeah like this is a lot like poppier than I kind of thought and then it gets like really dark and then you're like holy shit there were some really strange um musical choices um like the saxophone in one of them there's a harp in one song I felt some like I felt like there was like some EDM vibes in some of them I was like this is really interesting and then there's the southern rock like part of it that's just very like through and through and then I even felt like there were some Kurt Cobain like heavy 90s influences in some of these songs which I found out later it was Kurt Cobain and like Nirvana was like a really big influence on Aaron. So I just spilled seltzer on my face. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know how how that happened. Um, So I thought like, I was like, what is happening? But it was like all, it all fit though. It was just like, you could tell that there were a lot of different things happening, but it was never in a way that felt like, um, it was never in a way that was like, oh, like, why would he do that? Like, why would he choose okay. to put this? Like, it never felt like that. It was just really surprising when it did happen. So that was cool. Um, but overall, I felt like this was a really, like, I didn't know what to expect. Really, all I had heard in the past year and a half of the Almost was when we talked about Christmas music and yep. <laughs> the cover of Little Drummer Boy. That's about all I knew. Like, um, so I think like this album was super just like rich and full of like really heartfelt, truthful, internal reflections and dialogue that was really unexpected. I mean, this all in all is definitely to me, I think an album that where someone is really kind of like at war with themselves internally um 
it's super dark and dreary at times. It's almost like, almost like sometimes when you're listening to the song, it's like you, like what I was visualizing is like, like someone is trying so hard to like reach that inner truth within themselves, but it's almost like you're almost there, but it's like, there's a foggy window and you're just like really trying so hard to understand what it is that you're feeling and going through and trying to articulate that. And that's what I felt like Aaron was going through when he wrote this album was like, there are all these feelings that are happening that I'm, you know, anxiety and fear and loneliness and like trying to figure out where those things are coming from and, and how to move through them and live with those feelings. Um, I thought it was super, just super powerful. I'm so glad. Um, I think this was a great place to introduce the almost then. Um, and I'm, I'm glad that you, you were able to pull away that experience and, um, and reach those depths. And, uh, I'm just like, that's so sick. I'm so happy because yeah. I love this band so much. And I, I've always like thought they were up your area with your aesthetic and with just like, I don't know, things you're into. I just was like, this would be a really good match. So, um, I think it's cool that it was. <laughs> yeah, it definitely did hit me in a way where I was like, Oh, all right. Yeah. Like I vibe with this. Like, this is cool. I was actually, I was listening to it while I was working out last night. It was, it, oh, cool. which seems like an interesting album to choose to work out to, but it actually worked out pretty well. So no, I get it. Cause I think uh, like I was trying to sum up this album and really just trying to like give it something like a few keywords. And I feel like this album is very scrappy. Mm-hmm. So that, to- that makes total sense. Like I love that word. Yeah. There's a lot of scrappy energy for this. And like energy is it, I I feel like I have to define what I mean in energy because energy can mean a lot of different things and it's not a positive energy, but it's a scrappy Mm -hmm. energy. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. There's really nothing positive about this album at all. Maybe there's one song where there's like some hope there, right? There is, there is, (laughs) we'll talk about that, but on the, on the whole, this is a huge struggle. It's a big struggle. Yeah. 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 I guess we'll jump in then. Yes, let's do it. Oh my God. Let's do it. Um, so track number one, chokehold, strong way to bang the album right out there, you know. Yes, I said the same thing, especially that powerful opening line. Um, literally is this is what it's like to be me. Mm-hmm. Oof, that's a great way to sum up this album. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, yes, that and and that's you're so right. I hadn't even thought about that until now. Like, Hey, <laughs> this is me right now. <laughs> yeah. here's, here's what, how many songs? Like 14 12 songs. songs, 12 songs. And um, they're all going to be where I am. <laughs> yes. That's so true. Uh, yeah. Lyrically, I was so impressed with all of these that I wrote down lyrics for every single song. Cause I was yeah. like, wow, you know, the writing is incredible here. Um, well, you're a bit of a writer and he says that writing is his favorite part. And I was very excited to hear how you felt about that because I think like this album is absolutely the strongest writing he's ever done. And there's just so many cool things on here. Mm-hmm. So I'm excited to hear that you pulled some of those things as a writer yourself. So we'll talk about that 
Um, but this song is one of those really strong ones. Mm -hmm. I agree. Yeah. I'm there's, I mean, even just simply like I come alive in the darkness, like I like that. I think it's, it's really simple, but I think it's a great line. Um, and I mean, look, zooming out a little bit, I was trying to kind of understand because this is the first, you know, the first song. So I'm coming into this album and I'm like, okay, what you, what's going to be the theme here? Like what's going on with Aaron? Like clearly there's some shit going on inside knowing luckily I had done like a lot of research before diving into the album about Aaron and his past. And I don't know if you feel this way, but like just looking at the lyrics, I'm on a bastard island, fatherless and desperate for dry land. And I'm looking at that and I'm like, mm, what's the story of Aaron and his father? So I look at that and I'm like, no, it's not really a story. There's not too much of a story there that I could find. I was wondering if maybe his like religious background and talking about like father, I'm like, is he talking about like God or Jesus? And I'm wondering if it's like this absence of feeling connected to that religious aspect in his life. Um, the exact same thing. I'm you did. Okay. Tell me what you thought. So I, I pulled that too. I wrote down like, this is angry, but is it actual father or Mm -hmm. is it a power figure? And that could be religion. Mm -hmm. You know, father is such a duh. When you say that in religion, you know who you're referring to. Um, but I did do, or I stumbled across an interview and he did say that like, this was about his dad. Like this. Oh, okay. So this is, is literal, but I, I like the idea of this potentially being not as literal as well. And yeah, you know, it works well, in that way. Especially like in the way of like, if you think about what a bastard is, it's the fatherless son, child, right? It's the son of a mom out of wedlock. Right. Yeah. So it's also, but so then if we take that and we like turn that into something religious, like is he feeling like, you know, being a child of God, is he feeling like that father is absent in his life because of the internal struggles he's having? Like, I don't know. Well, when you put it with Bastard Island, that gets even like tougher because yeah, an island can be desolate, an island can be far away, an island can be a sort of excommunication mm-hmm. or like a shunning or... Mm -hmm. Um, you know, something like that. It's removed, right? It's removed. It could be remote, but it's a removed piece of land. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. It seems like a religious crisis to me. (laughs) I kind of wonder if just the nature of how he grew up, if everything's a religious crisis. Right. Well, there's so much. And that I think is such a heavy theme in these other songs too. There's so much shame in and guilt in stepping away from the church and like I I just met someone recently who grew up super religious and moved to a southern city moved to Atlanta to like to start like preaching at a church and then decided like a year into it that they didn't want to do that anymore and they're so there's still so much shame like they have tattoos and stuff that they want to cover up and like that just it marks you especially when it was your upbringing as like, yeah. this is who you're supposed to be. And then as you grow, especially if you step away from that, I can only imagine how much, you know, we joke about Catholic guilt, like 
but it's, it's religious guilt. It's like, especially if you've walked away from something and especially where like, he's clearly struggling with other things internally, monsters, demons, whatever you want to call them. And to not feel like you have, I mean, he even says looking for a flashlight in a blank sea, like to feel like you don't have God to turn to anymore, because that's not really like what you believe in. Then what, what is there? And what's the point? Yeah. 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 It's a heavy song. <laughs> it's so it's heavy. A, it's a really like, I think that pause says it all, says it all like starting off the album with this. And I mean, it starts, the song starts off like a little more even tempered. I don't even know if that's the right way to say it, but like, mm-hmm. I specifically wrote down like the way the song picks up after the last chorus or at the mm-hmm. last chorus is like, it's, it, there's a power, there's, there's a scrappy power in the song. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It is, you know, at face value, like a very easy listen. So you don't like, yeah, not until you actually not until like, looking at the words and like mm-hmm. really absorbing it. Are you like, Oh no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I think it's smart for it to have been the single and for it to have been the first song, you know, the placement yeah. of things is really important. Um, yes. But also that he didn't stray away from like, like you said, that very first line, it's like, it's, it's, it is introducing you, but also it's carrying you through musically so that you don't stop and go, I don't really want to listen to this, you know? Yeah. Yeah, like you get what you get and you know what's going to be coming up mm-hmm. in this song to a certain extent. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. I realized we didn't talk about gems. <laughs> oh my God. I didn't even circle a gem. You didn't? We're, we're having live gems right now. Okay, I love that. Do you have a gem? I do. I'm going to make a snap decision. Okay, um, do that. Okay. I, they're all, they're all so fucking good. All right. All right. What's your gem? My gem is I won't miss. Yeah. My gem is I want it real. Okay. It was almost, I won't miss though. I have uh, high regard for that song. Yeah. It's, it's good. This is the only song to me that I felt like was uplifting. So when we talked about that, in the beginning, like there's, this is it. And this was also the song that I was talking about when I thought of the rocket summer, because it reminded me a lot of slow-mo. Oh, okay. I could see that because it's kind of the same mentality of like, you're kind of tumbling through this like moment in your life where you're like, okay, like there's a little bit of hope and like, I'm going to just keep going. Right. Like he's saying like, I'm no archer, but I'm going to aim higher. I won't miss this time. Like he, you know, he's giving himself a pep talk almost about just continuing to, to grow through what he's going through. I hate to say that, but it's true. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, where's your pumpkin spice latte? I know. Oh, I know. As soon as I said it, I was like, gross, but, um, (laughs) but it's so true. (laughs) And I felt felt like that was similar in, in that song by, by rocket summer, but, um, love is a terrible price to pay for company. It's a great line. Um, 
it's funny because the way the song starts off doesn't sound like it's going to be uplifting at all. But then once you get to the chorus, um, there's really that like that undertone there. To add a layer onto the song, I love this song because it's like it's not a typical love song. Mm-hmm. This is kind of like a second chance or a multiple chance love song. And like usually a good uh, normal love song or classic love songs are like, you're the only one for me forever and I'll never love anyone else and nothing bad will happen. And everything's perfect now that we're in love and this is um not that but it's Mm -hmm. also not like fuck love it's like you know what life is hard and it's not always going to be good and sometimes it takes multiple chances and I think the line about you know I'm no archer is so interesting because like I'm going to try anyway even though like I'm not great at this that's Mm -hmm. that's like a cool thing um I love the line. I want to get even with all the monsters in my head mm-hmm. um, in the context of this, what I think is a love song, um, because like nothing is perfect and you still have to deal with your stuff and you still have to deal with their stuff and you have to deal with the stuff that you both have. And um, it's just like the song is so simple and earnest and honest. And I love it. Mm-hmm. I love this song. Mm-hmm. Beautiful song. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I I agree. It's also the only love song, love like song on this album because definitely most most of it is very like you know coming from the perspective of like this is what I'm working on internally, and then this is really the only song where he's exiting that and looking at things from the outside and saying like, okay, how is my behavior and my feelings and the things I'm dealing with affecting others? Um, so it's it's a really like humble way of saying like, man, like, you know, I'm really, really not doing so hot, but like, I'm going to keep on trying to like be the best I possibly can or try to be the best I possibly can for you. Just that I won't miss this time. Cause he repeats that like over and over yeah. again. It definitely feels like it's like a mantra, like something. Mantra. I was going to say that. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yep. Because... Like a reassuring or something to hold on to a mantra. Uh, you know, yep, yep, wow. And I really liked that. Yeah, I agree. And I think there's a lot of people out there that like hate songwriting like that, where it's just like repetitive. But I think when you, when it's done right and when you look at it like that, where it's like, no, this person is, it's, it's like, if you think of it as this person saying it as a mantra, that's so powerful. Like, yeah. How many times have you been in a bad situation and you're just like, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. It's all right. Or like, you didn't do anything wrong or like, we're going to keep going. We're going to keep going. Like Mm -hmm. repeating that is like the powerful action of the art. Mm -hmm. Saying it once isn't enough. Saying it once is just like throwing it away in the wind. But when you repeat it and you repeat it and you repeat it, you believe it. Yeah, exactly. And knowing, and we'll get into this a little bit later, like knowing how much anxiety he has and like how that's like a diagnosed disorder for him I can very much see that being like you know something you have to tell yourself to like remind yourself like I'm worthy like I've got this you know whatever whatever it is and like you said we've all had those moments where we've had to and sometimes it can be something like so ridiculous that you say to yourself and it's the only thing that's going to get you out of that anxious situation or get you through that like tough conversation or whatever it has to be um and I think I think that's great and if you really want to dial it back 
and especially in like coping mechanism terms and like anxiety management, um, I won't miss this time. It, it's like, you're just working on one shot, one step at a time. I just want to make it a shot. Mm-hmm. I just want to make this target. Like, I think there's something beautiful about that. Like, it's not, I want to live happily forever. I want to live happily forever. It's, I won't miss this time. I mm-hmm. won't miss this time. This, this time mm-hmm. singular experience where we're just working on this one thing. We're going to, you know, zero in on that. And then we can take the other steps after we've gotten this far. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. It's oh, good. It's, yeah. It's good. This is a great song. It's a really great it's, song. Reminds me of a few other songs he has. Um, one of them is on Monster Monster, and it is um, called, um, that's the EP. It is called, I have my Spotify up so I can properly reference things. <laughs> <laughs> it's called Hand Grenade. Um, and I think it's it's like cool to see whether it's an intentional like throwback or I'm just making that link in my head. Or, you know, that song's kind of another like dialed down acoustic situation, love song, um, imperfect love song, which I think is just his style. And I really appreciate that. Um, I think it's cool that like an artist has these things, even if they're not making the link intentionally, mm. a listener is. Mm-hmm. And that's that's the cool thing about art is sometimes you as a creator are putting things in and other people are noticing and maybe you're not noticing until they notice. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Oof. Solid. Yes. All right. So you chose, um, what did you choose? So I, chose I, want, I want it real. real. I want it yeah, real. Which is yep. the second song, um, following chokehold, which is kind of a hard thing to do, but I think this does it well. Mm-hmm. This, in my opinion, is Oh, like this a, is a really good song. Okay. Yeah. yeah this yeah, is yeah. a classic, I'm, I'm, the almost song. Yeah. Yeah. I was, I That's, had to like sing it in my head for a second. Yeah. That's why it's so good. It's like, this is an almost song through and through. Mm-hmm. Um, I appreciate that. Like, I always appreciate when someone can grow, but like hold on to a style or a distinction or something that you, that's like, that's theirs. Mm-hmm. This song is, this song is an almost song. And I love, I love that. that. Um, it's kind of a hectic energy to it. Cause we have the line searching through the masquerade for something, someone to take the hate, which is really interesting because in chokehold the song before it, he talks about his father. There's like a line that his father is like literally giving him hate. Mm. Like, and you start, you see, there's a lot of like references to hate through the album, which I think is intentional, but this is the first one that we now see this so- searching for someone, something, someone to take the hate. Mm. Um, I think that's cool. Like it's, it's like, it's it's interesting to see the transition that way. Um, I see the song is like slothing off all the excess, like all the bad and all the things weighing you down. You're just trying to like get it off and like mm. move on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. It's funny. I connected it to the first song immediately as well. I just said if it's, yeah. you know, if it's following chokehold to me, it's really carrying the same sense of like yearning or like searching for truth or meaning like in something that feels so complicated, um, and isolating. Um, so I agree. I feel like it's definitely a good, like next song to follow. 
Um, and I think that this is kind of like also an internal crisis moment where it's, you know, him really asking like, what is the meaning of all of this? Yeah. Um, like I want it, I want the realness of life. Um, and you, and he says like looking for a call to action, trying to find some footing, some traction, like mm-hmm. what, what's the real purpose? What am I, who am I meant to be? What am I meant to be? What's the, per- what's the purpose of life? And I really love that, you know, and I think we've, we all have moments where we question those, those big questions, those like big earthly questions where we're like, you know, and, the, and for me, I don't know about you. It's usually in the middle of the fucking night. I like wake up and I'm like, what is the point of this? Well, and it's definitely trying to get to a, a point, right? Like trying to get to a real core. There's a lot of things about like moving past the fakeness and the, mm-hmm. the song title is called I Want It Real. And they're like, you're trying to just eliminate all of that mm-hmm. excess sludge the noise. Yep. Yeah. It's good. That's cool. That's awesome. Yeah. This is a solid, solid song. I can see why you picked it. It's funny. I'm like seeing patterns in, um, like the gems that we pick. Oh, big time. Like I'm just just thinking about it and I'm like, I, I think eventually I'll be able to really hit it on the nose when I like pick, I'm like, in my brain, I'm like, "Mm, she's going to get, she's going to pick this song. Cause I think I'm sensing a pattern. I think so because I think I tend to go for like what's the most authentic song yes. on this album to you. Yes. And you are like, where are you the most emotionally vulnerable? Yeah. That I is so true. Yeah. yeah. I love that though. <laughs> I think that's cool. And I think there is, yeah, soon there is gonna be a time where we can start guessing gems and we're gonna be right. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that speaks to a lot of like you and I as listeners and as creative people, mm-hmm. um, music consumers. So mm-hmm. it's cool. I, mm-hmm. I always like, I think it's cool to see that the fact that you follow that pattern, it's like, okay, cool. So like, what is the most emotionally vulnerable song? It's going to be whatever Emily picks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I think that's because that's what I, that's what I look for in music, right? The, my most favorite songs of all time are usually songs that either I connect to a, you know, a memory where I was vulnerable or, you know, whatever that means a lot, or it's a song that really like pulls that from me because of the way that it's written. So yeah, I think, I think you're right. (laughs) Yep. Wow. You have have me figured out now. Everybody, (laughs) now everybody knows. Now they know your secret. I know. They'll start looking for gems in the same way now. So I think that's mm-hmm. cool. It is. Challenge. Well, this was a perfect transition because that was song number two. So that came right after Chokehold. And now we're song number three, which is Tame a Lion. So interesting song. It's not one of my favorites on the album, but like back to what I said, this whole album's a masterpiece. So that statement does not mean I dislike this song. Yeah. But I also go back and forth. I like this song more times than others sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. It's an interesting one. The sax, right away, I want to talk about the sax. Yes. Uh, feature. So the sax feature is uh, J.R. Wazaleski of Less Than Jake, who I believe okay. is a friend anyway. Um, so it was a friend. The sax solo was, I believe, spurred from an idea to really like Bruce Springsteen this mm-hmm. song. So I respect that. 
Um, I don't hate it. At first I was like, this is something, but um, I don't hate it. And I think the only reason I don't hate it, or, and I didn't hate it at first either. So there's a guy, um, he calls himself Saxel Rose. He's just like this internet guy. <laughs> Shout out to Saxel Rose. Um, he's this like sax player on the internet that just started playing along to uh, a lot of alternative stuff. He does some rap stuff. Um, but band started like being like, wow, this is cool. No one else has done this. And they'd invite him to like play live. Like Matt and I saw him play with neck deep in London. Oh my um, God. Yeah, they like thought about amazing. For the run, like fuck it. And he played in Bloom. And now they have some like recorded versions of like the sax version of In Bloom that okay. they actually put out with him. Um, but he's played with state champs. He's played with um oh God, some other people. I can't remember. He's Maryland, so like we never see him in local shows, but that's what they'll do. They'll be like, Hey, we're coming to the area, you want to come play? Um so I just like, I guess I've been kind of acclimated to the idea of like sax being involved with like alternative music for the last couple of years, watching what he's doing and being really impressed and being like, this is a breath of fresh air. So in a way I, I kind of like it in here. I think mm-hmm. it's cool. Um, it's certainly different. Yeah. Yeah. It, it was definitely, it caught me so off guard because I did not expect it. Um, I don't, I don't hate it either. I really enjoy when people take, like I said, I thought he took a lot of musical risks in this album and this was definitely one of them. Um, I, one of my favorite, favorite artists of all time, which we will talk about on our next podcast, um, bleachers. So you've got, um, Jack Antonoff and he has a saxophone player that tours with him. So he has a lot of saxophone. Yeah. And actually that saxophone player is from Maine. (laughs) Yeah. But, um, I love when people incorporate like different instruments. Um, so I thought it was really cool, really unexpected. I agree with you. This is not my favorite song on the album. Um, and the fact that it was like, it was the second, the second single that he dropped, right. Was the song. And I was like, Oh man, you know, after listening to the whole album, like there's so much depth in here, so many good songs. I just was like, this is just like, not the best. Um, I liked it. I think it has yeah. to, it has to exist here. Like yes, it yeah, has it a purpose on the album. Yep. Yeah. It has a purpose for sure. But it's not one of my highlights, I guess. Is no. Like if yeah. you have to choose highlights, I can't put this one in here, but it did have some cool aspects. I wanted to ask you about the line. You can't eat a ghost. And I looked that up everywhere to see if I was mishearing that mm-hmm. I wasn't. So then I Googled it to see if it was something that I hadn't like, like if it was some weird thing that people said that like, I just hadn't heard before and it wasn't, I could only mm-hmm. find like, you should never eat a ghost pepper. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know what that means because the line is you can't eat a ghost and mm-hmm. you can't tame a lion. Um, and like, we know what tame a lion, like, you know, in context of something to say what the, that, that means, but like, it stumped me with you can't eat a ghost. So I I don't know if myself and everyone else on the internet is mishearing this line, but I don't think I think that is the line. It is the line. Um I don't know if I'm wrong, but in an interview where he was talking about his anxiety, he oh no, sorry. Well, yeah, he was talking about this, but um he was talking about the name of the album being Fear Caller. Yes. And Fear Caller 
we're going to talk about it, but I got to skip ahead a little. Um, there's a song on the album called Fear Caller, and it's that tiny little like musical blurb between yeah. I Won't Miss and the last song, Why Do You Bother Me? This is, Fear Caller is a ghost. What? Like, Fear Caller is a ghost. Like, that's the name of a ghost. Like, that's the go- a ghost. Like, that, that, that's what I think. I think Fear Caller is a ghost. That's you the name. I think it's a ghost that's following Aaron. And when he says you can't eat a goat. Okay. So let me, let me, let me back up for a second <laughs> in, in the interview. Yeah. He talks about how he faces his fear of his anxiety by just eating it. And obviously that's like a, that's like a, you know, he's saying like, you know, just, just face it, just eat it. Just like get it yeah. over, like get it over with. Like, this is what's going on. You have to just say to yourself, okay, I'm feeling this way. I'm experiencing these things. Just be honest and move, move through it. Just eat it. And he says that. So when he says you can't, okay. you, yeah. So when he says that, and I think when he's referring to ghost in this song, he's referring to fear caller, like fear caller is the name of the ghost in which Aaron's anxiety lives shit so you're kind of wrong but I don't hate that <laughs> because I do know why the album's called Fear Caller I, I found that in another interview okay um we'll get to that hold on to that pocket that one because I don't think you're totally wrong though or I, I think what you're saying could could also work because I he just said it so quickly as to why this album is named Fear Caller and then like didn't answer any questions and what he said warranted so many questions, um, but we'll get there. Okay, okay. But, okay, that makes a lot more sense as like a like an anxiety coping mechanism. Just eat it, just do it. I guess I've just never heard anyone say that. Mm-hmm. Is that because we like live in the Northeast and maybe people say that other places? I have no idea. Or he just says it. But either way, I, maybe that he puts just some says context it. to it that I was like, I was really like, is everyone an idiot? Like, I, I don't know. You know, sometimes shit happens. Like I was on a trivia, a bar trivia team last week and um, the host said treaties and all of us, all four of us at the table heard trees. What tree uh, ended blah, 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 war, blah, 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 war and blah, 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 war. <laughs> and we argued about evergreens for five minutes. And then <laughs> the answer evergreens and the answer was Treaty of Paris. And um you know, so sometimes you just hear things. Uh, <laughs> it was really awful. And, that, and like, that's kind of how I felt about this. Like I thought so hard about, it's exactly how I felt about this. This was an evergreen moment. I was like, you can't eat a ghost. You can't eat a ghost. You can't eat a ghost. I was Googling and I was thinking about what that meant. And I was just like, what does that mean? What does that mean? Um, so I'm glad I didn't mishear it because um, I was really feeling like an evergreen moment. That is hilarious. <laughs> oh my God. Um, yeah, I don't really know. I mean, I could be so wrong. I just feel like because he says that about his anxiety, if this is in reference to a ghost like following you around, 
I don't, I don't know. Now I'm just like, I think you're on to something. Cause that makes a lot of sense. And like, you can't, you can't like elude a ghost, right? Like aside, if you believe in the, in exorcisms or in spiritual intervention and spirits. And like, you think that like father Mackenzie can come and like ward off the ghost from your house or the demon from your house. Ghosts are like hard to shake mm-hmm. and they don't have to play by the rules of like this plane of existence. Cause we don't know mm-hmm. what they are. And we don't even understand if this is leftover energy or if this is actually like a sentient being, um, and then there's the whole, you know, there's like that literal interpretation of a ghost. And then there's just like your haunted past and like you're haunting yourself. Cause you just like, can't let go of the shame of mm-hmm. whatever, or, you know, you're, yeah, it's like the rain cloud, but a ghost like that kind of thing. So both things though, are similar in the way that you can't just like turn it off, take out the batteries and it's done or mm-hmm. say something and it's, it's warded away forever. Like, mm-hmm. Yeah. And just put it back on the shelf. Like it just, I don't know. It lingers until it decides to leave or you can work through it. So you can't just, you can't just eat it and it's over. Right. I I'm happy that you had that because I was really like, I don't, I don't know what that means. So that makes me feel better. Oh, that's good. I'm Um, glad I helped you. (laughs) (laughs) This song also has one more important part and then we can move on. Mm but it has a line that I kind of now I'm associating chokehold. I want it back or I want it real and tame a lion with um, as like a Trinity of songs, because there's three lines, one line in each of these three songs that are, they they play so heavily on each other. Mm. That is so interesting. Um, There's a line in chokehold that says, um, your father gave his heart for you to be hateful. And there's a line in I want it real that says um, uh, something, someone to take the hate searching through the masquerade for something, someone to take the hate. And then there's a line in tame a lion that says you can't give back what you've been given. Mm. So I don't know if all of those songs or all of those lines are reflecting back to that father line, but it kind of seems like it is. And it's really interesting. And there's still a struggle because in I want it real, he's like still under the guise that someone can take the hate and then in tame a lion, you can't give back what you've been given. Do you think that that is a reference to like self-hatred that was inflicted on him from and like passed down to him from his father? I mean, it kind of seems that way. Mm -hmm. And like, he's absolutely not alone. I feel like there's just some, you can try to be the most perfect parent in the world. Like, even if we're just not going to, we're going to skip over the fact that like this parent could have just been like outwardly bad. Mm-hmm. Every single parent is like inflicting trauma onto their oh, kids. Oh yeah. Yeah. Whether you, you think you're doing not. the best and you might not be or whatever. So um, like, I think so. I think you're right that. Mm it stems from somewhere and like that mm. it could be what it is. And it, it kind of said it in chokehold. Like I, I feel like, yeah, it's just like a shitty answer. And like, I think that's part of being an artist is like that. I respect people that can be that vulnerable and put that out into the world and like then have to deal with the repercussions of like people like us talking about it. And like, even mm. though we're not like ripping his father or ripping him, that's not the intention here. We're just looking at the art it's like uncomfortable and 
you, you don't necessarily want anyone to feel bad unless they really deserve it. But like, sometimes life is just the way it is. And when you're an artist making art and you make art surrounded by your experience, Mm -hmm. it's your experience you're putting out. And sometimes that is going to hurt other people's feelings. Oh my God, a hundred percent. But real art is not easy. No. And making it is the hard, the hardness of making it, the difficulty of making that and putting that out is like what makes you a stronger artist. It's hard it's when it's a difficult situation involving someone else. Yeah. You're only going to get your side of the pan or you're, you know, we're only getting his side of the pancake. Like, mm-hmm. right. And yeah. then other people's interpretation of what he's saying about his own father reflects on his father's image. Yeah. It's so complicated. Exactly. All right. Yeah. I respect that a lot. Cause that is mm-hmm. scary territory to be in. Yep. Yeah. Well, thank, like I said, this song served a purpose because it fosters more of that conversation, right? It's, yep. like you said, it's the third act. So moving on to another favorite song of mine on the album, and mm-hmm. I think it was a favorite of yours too, mm-hmm. is Over and Underneath, which is the fourth song on this album. Yes. Um, this is like the epitome of the scrappy energy. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. This is This was where like I started to hear that really heavy like southern rock influence yeah is on this song it gave me such black keys vibes yeah I was really really into that because I love them I think they're great um the drums are really good here and there's some like wild impressive like bass crank in here too and you don't mm. really hear a lot of bass in a lot of songs unless it's like part of that like genre where something is really Basey. So I thought that was great. I love her. I loved hearing that. Um, but this song I think is about like just hope, like riding on hope, it being yeah. the only thing that you have. And trying to find it and how hard it is. Like the the chorus, find hope, maybe it's over and underneath, mm-hmm. maybe it's right between your teeth. Like you're so fucking close, and it mm-hmm. can be so frustrating. Um but you have to be scrappy to get there and to, to find it and to dig. And it's like, it's digging, right? Like it's Mm -hmm. digging and it's struggle. And, um, I loved the line. There's no getting a ride. There's no waiting all your life there. Like there's a line after this that references, like, don't get in line and wait for a sign or something. And God, that's so good. That is good. And you, it's almost like making your own luck. You kind of have to make your own hope and like find Mm -hmm. your own hope and, um, and, do the legwork for that. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not your typical, like, hold on, it gets better song about yeah. hope. Yeah. And that's what I liked. It, this was a little more realistic, especially yeah. for like a harder time or like a dark time, right? Like this isn't just like, I'm having a bad day. This is like, I've been having a bad four months and I can't get out of my own way. Or I just went through this like huge traumatic event and I'm trying to find my way out of a paper bag. Like, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. No, I agree. This is, this is super, a super realistic look at that. And that's like, sometimes that's, that's the only thing getting you out of bed is that, you know, maybe, maybe tomorrow I'll feel better. I'm going to hope that that's the truth. So I'm going to get up today and hope that tomorrow I'll feel better. And then well, I'm going to get up out of bed today and I'm going to look for it. And I'm going right. to do my goddamn damnedest to find mm-hmm. what I need to find. Mm-hmm. And a lot of that is like just action work, right? A lot of that is like you're yeah, finding you're you're finding hope by like getting yourself out of the house and getting a cup of coffee. And like there's happiness in that moment. And like there's hope and more of that to come. Like just so keep doing those things. Once you start to place 
your hope, like you said, in other things, like you're looking for it in people or, or a sign or yeah, then you're never going to get it. You're never going to get it. Nobody is ever going to come down like Jesus would in their shining, like, you know, crown with wings and be like, here it is your little nugget. That's it. You're good to go now. Doesn't work that way. Like, no, what sign are you looking for? The universe doesn't work like that. No. Yeah. And to get, we love to get new agey and pokey and and woo-woo around here. But like, you have to tell the universe what you want and you have to like, I don't know. I feel like it's, it's like you have to make, some moves and then the universe gives something back and yes. then you make some moves in the universe repays you. But like, if you just sit on your bed and you're like, what am I supposed to do for the rest of my life? Then like, you're going to die a corpse in your room because no one is going to come and force you to go to work or come in and say like, Oh, we have a senior management title for you at the company of your dreams. Or I don't know, you know, like mm-hmm. you're not going to meet friends. You're not going to meet anyone. Like you're just, you're literally going to sit in your bed and no sign is going to come and um you can't do that yeah I think oftentimes people misunderstand the idea of like setting an intention setting an intention doesn't mean lighting a candle and going I would like this please like you just said and then all of a sudden it magically appears you light a candle and you say I would like this and then you light a fire under your ass and you go and try and do it. <laughs> you yeah, know what I mean? So good. Yes, you're right though. That's exactly what the what the problem with like signs and but it okay. You have to drive down the road to find a new sign, right? Mm. You have to continue on to find those signs, right? Mm-hmm. Think about it like that. It's so dumb, but like No, you're you're right. Yeah, yeah. Signs yeah. maybe they aren't something that like comes to us, but we go to them. Yes. You still have to go out and search for it in order yeah. for the thing or the, you know, the goal to come to fruition or for to confirm. Yeah. You know, and you can search for those things, but you can't just expect it, which is the same right. thing with full circle. Same thing with hope. It's true. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. And then do you have anything else to say about the song? I don't want to move on if you don't. No, I'm ready to move on to what is potentially the darkest song on this album. Yeah. Life, which is hilarious. hilarious. (laughs) Ironically, the the line chain up all the hope because shit is what it's worth. Mm. Oh, woof. Yeah. This is like, no one is going to convince me that my black ass heart right now is going to turn pure because it is rot in like rotted, rotted internally. That's what this is. Everything you think is good. is going to rot and die. Um, Oh God. The tone of this song, like sonically is it matches it so well. It's like so dark. It's like, it's kind of like, I just feel like I've been run through the coals when I listen to this song. Mm-hmm. Like I can physically just like feel like coal dust in my lungs and just like how fucking desolate that feeling is. And 
Mm-hmm. It's not that it's funny because it's not even like, and I want to like end it all right now. It's just like, I'm yeah. here and it is what it is. It's an acceptance. It is totally yeah. an acceptance of like, this is, I'm just this ugly being now. You know, this was the song I was talking about though, when I was saying it feels like I'm dragging my feet through the desert. Like yes. I'm, I'm seeing mirages, there's no water, but I put myself there and I'm, I've accepted that this is my fate. That makes sense. Um, and it, I, my eyes like shot open though, because I was like feeling that way and imagining a desert. And then the lyric, um, get all your shit straight. I'll, uh, meet you I'll in, meet the, you desert. in the desert. I was like, yeah. my eyes like were, they got wide and I was like, woo! Oh my God. Yeah. That's well, crazy. I that poem I like pulled that poem out you get you get a poem in the middle of the song which I thought was so crazy like yeah yeah it was really interesting and just like spoke to like what a writer he is so you get this chunk in the middle of the song that goes there's blood in the water there's death on my hands come and knock on my door I'll label your demands there is faith in a black heart you can put it back together get all your shit straight I'll meet you in the desert Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Damn. Yeah. And it's almost like he's saying, like, oh, you want to, if you want to come save me or if you want to come see me, this is who you're going to get. Yeah. Yeah. So you want to come hang out? Get all your shit straight. I'll meet you in the desert. It's kind of a harsh, like. Yeah. You know, it's not warm and inviting. No. But it's like, well, it's almost like when people tell you, oh, just get out of bed in the morning and, you know, you'll be fine. Or just like take a shower. You'll feel better. I choose fuck. to be happy. Yeah. Go fuck yourself. <laughs> That's exactly what that is. Yeah. 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 But I love it. I think it's, um, I think it's just, uh, yeah, it's not easy to hear. It's not easy to listen to, but it's also like this is who I am. I'm soiled right now. <laughs> yeah. It's like, it's a really cool piece of art. It really is. Yeah. You're right. He did a good job. Yeah. And then you have fire. I love fire. Fire is another one of my favorites on this album. Um, it's got some interesting lines in here, but like, I think what it, it is for me is like, the chorus is so yes, fun. I know. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> like I'm gonna groove through this, but I need help. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's like um five, four, three, two, one, Z. It is. Wow, that's so much reference. so much rocket, rocket summer. summer. <laughs> yeah. God, I wonder if they're friends. Like, cause that is such an interesting parallel that like, and that's one of my favorite songs, probably of mm-hmm. all time, too. And that like, was your gem. Yeah, I love yeah. that song. Yeah. That might be my favorite Rocket Summer song of all time, but I think it is one of my favorite songs in general anyway. Mm-hmm. But like, yeah, I feel the, like this way about that song too. Mm-hmm. Um, I loved the line, have I been here before or is Deja Vu a glitch? Yes, I love that line too. Love that line. Yeah. Um, it's weird and spooky and I have some paranormal things to talk about a little later. Mm. Um, just surrounding Joshua Tree and like some of the things on this album Um, but that was like a really interesting thing to stumble upon and be like that's 
we're directly questioning. Mm-hmm. Yes, I loved it. I think I agree. The chorus is such a transition because it starts, the song starts off really like drudgy. And this was the song yeah. where I was like, there's a lot of Kurt Cobain influence in here. Like oh, I, okay. if you listen to the beginning of the song, you'll hear it. Okay. Yeah. I can see it. I can see where you're coming from. Yeah. Um, that's really funny. But yeah, it, it does. Kind of got like a nineties, a little bit of a Foo Fighters too. Yeah. Yeah. And Dave Grohl is a huge, like he, Aaron's a huge fan of Dave Grohl. Who isn't? That makes sense. <laughs> but like, yeah. yeah, that makes utter sense now. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And I love, so the final chorus where he goes, I finally get home and lo and behold, there's nowhere for me to sit or even, oh, sorry, not the final chorus. Oh, this is yeah. no, right, that, befi- that is right before, bridge? yeah, it's, and he's talking, there's like dialogue. It's right before mm-hmm. the final chorus. So he says, I finally get home and lo and behold, there's nowhere for me to sit or even put my coat. I pour myself a drink. I think I'm getting better and you walk. It's all the same. And it's just like a really interesting part of the song because it totally pulls you out yeah well everything slows down yeah and you get this like almost mask over what he's saying like there's like a filter Mm -hmm. but everything like it's it's a very simple there's not a lot going on musically yeah this is happening and it's like a bird's eye view of the situation I feel like I don't know if you feel this way, but like in the beginning of the song, he's talking about how he like got off the bus and like a police officer is like telling him he can't do that here or whatever. Do you remember that part? The, of the plane, plane almost crashed. Yeah. Got off the train in Savannah and then was smoking in the streets and the police officer was like, son, you can't do this here. Helped me calm down my anxiety and fear. Yeah. yeah that part. Yeah. That part. Yeah. Do you think there was also like, cause this kind of like, Gives me this like staggering vibe throughout like the whole yes song. There's a lot of disconnection in this song. Do you think he was like day drinking or just like he was just like so out of it that that's how he was perceiving reality? Where that's well, why I'll bring you back to our favorite line: "Have I been here before?" Or is deja vu a glitch? Mm-hmm. Something is something going on. Connecting. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Cause I was like, I was like, is this person like drunk and they're like staggering, uh, like around? Well, okay. And how does the word hazy sound to you? Does that yeah. sound correct? Yeah, that does that, sound. Especially yeah, that yeah, beginning yeah. part. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's like, true. I feel like I'm trying to follow what's going on in a haze. Yeah, yeah. That's like the why. Plane almost went down. And there's a train, and then you know we're in the streets, and yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. That makes a lot. That makes a lot of sense. I was trying to figure out like, is this person like on drugs? Are they just like in a lucid, like completely like they're not lucid and they're like just super like out of it or something, you know, almost like if this person got home from tour, like maybe they're on a plane, they just got home. I wondered. They took the train. Then they step back into their house and they're just like, nothing's changed. I literally still feel the same after all of that. Where I'm supposed to feel better, you know? Mm, yeah. That made me think a lot. I wonder. I mean, I feel like when people write about their coats, like I'm coming back with my coat and I'm hanging up my coat. I f- just feel like in like classic literature that like signifies a long journey. Mm-hmm. Like a That's coat true. is yeah, just yeah. something that it's like if, if someone's like coming back with their coat and they're hanging up their coat, 
something is like they're just like completing a long like they ended something yeah yeah and they're coming home after a long time or something yeah oh good thoughts I love that he makes you think about you know what's going on here it's not it's not right there you know which is there's like and there's many different ways you can look at things and I appreciate that too like there's no answer I feel like to this yeah yes I think I am is number seven. I think I am number seven. I think I am. So we get no man is an island. Uh, no man is an island. No man is an. <laughs> so many ams and ands and um, no man is an island. Yeah. We get the reference back to the bastard island and chokehold. Yeah. But even though he says this, he'll go on later in the song to say no man is an island. But I think I am. Um, which is one of those, it just, this has strong, like everyone else can have nice things, but not for me, mm. um, vibes. Um, and then at the very end to continue with our Island stuff or, or towards the end, there's two lines that I was like, Oh God. Um, on my Island, I have everything I need fear, death, and anxiety on my Island. I have nothing that you need love, hope, and security. Hmm. Yeah. Those are tough, tough lines. Like, and that's tough isolating yourself like that. Right. Like you're like, I deserve every bad thing that I'm going through and that's for me. And, um, other people get nice things and they're never going to get those from me. Like, I'm never going to be able to provide that either. Like there's a lot of like sadness in this. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I mean, and maybe that's the reality of like what what he has to live through sure and and that kind of goes you know hand in hand with what he's saying and I won't miss like I'm not an archer I'm not going to be able to give you the exact thing that you need or way to think about it or deserve and I have to this is him kind of like living with that yeah 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 um there's really great lyrics um right from the break the beginning where he says I was born to play the drums and tell Mm -hmm. the truth but instead I just lie and I end up ruthless yeah like wow you know end up ruthless is an interesting thing to say because I almost feel like the correct way to say it is like I choose to be ruthless like someone would say I I chose to be ruthless or I decided to be ruthless Mm. because like being ruthless I don't know. I feel like it takes a little bit of energy. So I think it's just interesting that he said, I I ended up ruthless. Yeah. It is interesting choice of words. But again, I think it kind of goes back to that sense of loss of self where it's like, he started this journey as a musician. I mean, we talked about this at the very beginning where he said like, I'm going to play drums. Like it's my mission. Like this is what I was born to do. And when we're talking about the theme of like not knowing your sense of purpose and who you're supposed to be and what's the point of all of this and you know which is literally a line in tame a lion he repeats what's the point multiple what's times the point? The song. Yeah. and then to speak to your drummer references there are several drummer references through this album as well i mean we've got that we've got and we didn't talk about it and i won't miss but he says i'm a drummer with swollen hands yeah like mm-hmm. that's so yeah there's so much like identity yeah to that Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's like, if you're not, cause I think it started out as 
I'm going to drum. And the reason why I'm drumming is my mission is to, is to do this for God. And then when you don't, when you're not doing it for anything anymore, just for yourself, it's just for yourself, but you're also battling with that internal anxiety and fear and sadness and depression. And that and drumming isn't even making it any better. Then why it does seem to be a stable identity marker though? That's true. He's like, if nothing else, I am a drummer. He doesn't really say I drum as much as he uses a lot of words to say, like, I am a drummer, like literally identifying with that piece of himself. That's an identity marker. And that seems to be a stable thing. If, even though it's not, I love to drum and it fulfills me. It's like, that's not the context here. It just seems to be this like consistent thread of, I am a drummer. Almost like that's, you know what? If you were looking at this album as like the full story, like a full story, which I do because I kind of feel like each song is a full story, right? Like a story. We're not getting a name of someone, but like we would call this character the drummer. Mm. So it's interesting that that's kind of how he's marked himself. Yeah, as yeah. A character, is the drummer. That's how you'd refer to this in like a, a literature discussion is the drummer. Mm-hmm. Wow. That's some good writing. It is some good writing. Also, there's harp in this song. I Okay, you said that earlier, and I missed where that is. That's okay. in this song? There's a harp, like a real quick little ditty. Okay. Like a little... And it's right before and right after the lyrics, I come up in a rainstorm trying to cover my head. Or I came up. I came up in a rainstorm trying to cover my head. Okay. Damn. You'll have to listen to it later. I will. I'm going to go back and like find that it's harp. Because... very quick. Okay. But that's intentional. Like, I don't know, man. Like including <laughs> a harp and, and sneaking it in is, is kind of an interesting move, right? It like, is interesting. Like a why... harp is included. Usually people want to feature it for yeah. like, a big part of the song. Right. And I'm like, why? Why did like, I, I want to know, like, I imagine people like in a studio being like, there's needs to be something right before this line. What should it be? Oh, let me get uh, on my uh, harp. <laughs> right. Like that's why I did you choose that? What's available to you? Well, okay. Number. Uh, wow. They were recording out in Joshua tree too. Mm-hmm. They were mm-hmm. not even in like a full fledged studio. So to decide to include a harp, I mean, that, I guess that could have came in like, post-production but like yeah that's even crazier they weren't just like in a studio to think of all these styles and all of these things they added and granted um the sax feature was sent to them they you know they outsourced that but like to be in such a remote place working on an album with two people Mm -hmm. and decide to add that tiny piece of harp in it like they they operated like everything was at their disposal even though they weren't like, and it was, mm-hmm. it, that's so cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Just funny. That's, I like that you picked that up. That's really neat. Yeah. So next we have ain't no King. Ain't no um, King. I don't have a ton to say about this song, mm-hmm. but it, you know, it belongs on the album. It's just a lot of discontent with uh, yourself and the mm-hmm. person you've turned into. Um, I feel like this is just like a huge call out to like fucking and I think he says this in one album that he this was like kind of 
aimed at his 20, like his self in his 20s and his mid 20s, especially mm-hmm. when Under Oath was um, really taking off with like Define the Great Line and when people were really digging that, um, that they were all, I mean, they were young kids that like, it just blew up really fast and everyone had kind of an interesting time like checking ego or not checking ego and like dealing with sudden fame and I mean even referring to yourself as a king in past tense both like you think you're a king but then when you call someone a king who's acting like a complete jabroni in Matt Evans's words like that's a (laughs) burn like you're like okay king like yeah that's you know because it's like that's a crazy thing to call yourself Mm -hmm. I am king it's like lord of the flies shit or like it, I don't know there's a special kind of person that like outwardly refers to themselves as a king and I'm not saying Aaron ever did but like there are people that go on TikTok and they're like I'm king or they'll come up to you in the club and like I'm a king it's like ooh, that's a scary guy you're like bad no. road to go down no yeah <laughs> no <laughs> yeah I I I agree I I felt like this was like a check yourself song like I felt like yeah. this was like a you know exactly what you're saying where it's like you know don't don't get caught up in all of the stuff that's happening and the fame and the, you know, familiarity. It's just like, you know, and I think like, while all of that's happening and whatever he was going through internally, like all of that is really conflicting information for your brain to process. So I, I kind of got that through the song. I didn't, I don't have a lot to say about it either. It was super chaotic like I kind of felt like it was all over the place and that's yeah. probably just representative of 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 his brain at the time like what was going on all those sounds and feelings like are really reflected in this in this song yeah I agree that's a good way to think about that mm-hmm. and like another great way to be like okay maybe this isn't the song like fire that I want to put on and sing along in my car mm-hmm. but like god I can respect it as an art piece because like it's literally yeah. representing that in a sonic way with that sense so then we have the next in- track <laughs> in god's country which jesus christ we might be a little controversial on this one um i don't hate you two i do i do <laughs> i hate you too. Oh. Can, I, can I tell you why though why my can I hatred? ask a question too yeah because I and you said this to me the other day and I like that there's a couple okay you two songs but like there's bands that I hate far more than you two but when you were like I fucking hate you two um did your dad like you two not really okay so like that makes some sense but go on <laughs> I didn't, didn't think he would but like he's also he also had some out there or some like out of the blue tastes. Yeah, he wasn't a huge fan of U2. I hate U2. And it's really no fault of U2. It's just, I feel like, number one, Bono was like a huge deal for some reason when, yeah, like, came about again when we were, like, in middle school. Yes, when Beautiful Day was released and they yeah. were making this, like, mid our early 2000s resurgence. Yes. And then when I was in high school, I was a freshman and we had this lady who would come to our English class and she would talk about, I honestly don't even remember what, because I hated her so much. She was just, 
so she's just one of those people that were really condescending to teenagers. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. And she did this whole thing where she related whatever she was talking about to the song Vertigo by U2. Oh my God. I forgot that song existed. She would play that song and she visited. So she came to my freshman class. She came to my sophomore class and junior class. And it was all the same presentation. And I don't understand why this lady existed in this school system to present this one thing, but I had to fucking listen to that song while she was like basically talking down to us three times during my high school career. And I just, I hate, I hate you two for it. Well, okay. I mean, that's music's funny, right? Art's funny. It can be such a cognitive thing because someone, if someone else is like related to that, your brain is going to be like, Oh, I love that. Or I hate that. Right. Yeah. There is, I, from what I can tell, there is a difference between old U2 and new U2. And it doesn't seem like a lot of the people that really liked you, like old U2, like new U2. And I kind of get that um, based on all the stuff that is not great. But old U2, it's funny because this song exists. And then there's another song that Lights covers. And that is called, I still haven't found what I'm looking for. Mm-hmm. And um I see the relation of like that song in and and in God's country like I see I'm like okay that's old U2 and then like Vertigo and Beautiful Day are new U2 like I really see the the very big difference mm-hmm. um I feel the same way about her cover of that song that I do about Aaron's cover of this song is that they're so much better than the original mm-hmm. yeah I 100% agree I, I think old you too, it just doesn't do it for me. And maybe, you know, he's older than us. So like, maybe it's because we didn't really grow up with it. Um, or I don't know, there's, you know, music taste, it's different it, everything and nothing is inherently bad or wrong. And everyone has a different cup of tea. Um, but I, I've just never been able to get with the old you too, because every time I hear someone redo their stuff like it's so much better and there's so much more life in it and this is exactly how I feel about this cover mm-hmm. there's so much more life in it I didn't even know it was a cover until we started doing this episode I've right. been listening to the song for the last two years thinking this was their song and thinking this was one of the best almost songs <laughs> that's how good it is I love that there are I will say once you told me that and I re-listened to it last night there are a couple of times where I feel like Aaron is stretching his voice to to sound like Bono. Yeah, the- I can see that. I will give Which you Which I feel so bad because I know he is a big YouTube fan. And that's where it's just like, it's just so interesting how tastes can be so different. Mm-hmm. Because like, when I did go back and listen to the to YouTube's original version, I was like, so disappointed. Mm-hmm. It's flat. It was missing stuff. Yes. Flat and hollow. Mm-hmm. And Aaron's version just has so much life and energy and fucking beautiful gorgeousness. Punch a hole through the night sky or punch a hole right through the sky, whatever that line is, mm-hmm. is like such a good line. It is a good and line. Like it's, it just falls on its face with you two doing it. Yeah. They were playing it safe when they put it out, I think. Big time. Or I guess it's, I don't know, maybe that's also like the interesting part of going back and revising someone else's art is like once it's once the it's there, right? The the baseline of what you're working with is there. 
you can do so many cool things with tweaking because you're not thinking about creating, you're thinking about adjusting at this point. Mm -hmm. That's true. I do think in the whole theme that this song in particular, if we go back to just the idea of this being like um like him coming to grips with like not being part of religion anymore mm-hmm. I think that this is kind of a play on like he's been on he went on all these tours and like he saw what God's country in quotes was supposed to you know he had this idea of what it was supposed to be like because this is what they tell you you know in the church and then you go and you meet all these other people and you see these really ugly things and you see life and to be a young kid knowing one thing and then going on tour and seeing it in re in real life you really have this sense of loss and in in all the things that you thought you knew and that's like that's what this song's about because it's like poking a hole in the idea of what God's country is supposed to look like and what the reality is when you, when you go out there and see it. Yeah. Which is so funny that it fits into the rest of this album. Yeah. This is the perfect cover to, it's crazy how well it melds into everything to the point where I really spent the last two years thinking this was their song. (laughs) Like I, I didn't ever think this was this. If this was the almost, that had made this song, this would have been my gem. Mm. I love this song. Wow. Bono, um, Bono stole it away from you. Oh, yeah. <clears throat> sunglasses. Ugh. Um, ugh. Yeah. Yeah. Great song, but yeah. Interesting origin. Mm-hmm. So we talked about I Won't Miss any uh, already. Mm-hmm. And then, so now we have 11, Fear Caller. Awesome. I kind of want you to read all of Fear Caller if you uh, feel up to that. Sure. It's a short, it's another one of these like poem situations, but the whole song is just this like short two paragraph or one paragraph poem. Um, And in some ways I feel like this is really different than Mm -hmm. the rest of the album, but it fits in still. I think I was thinking about this earlier, like, why do I feel like this is so different? Um, I feel like the rest of the album is so human and whatever fear color is, is like not human. Yep. And I'm glad you picked that up. And I have a lot to say based on where they are, <clears throat> where fear color came from, because I can tell you that story and like some like links that I've made on my own. And then done more research into and it's just like funny that they were where they were um Mm. so anyway you can uh go ahead and read the okay um i am the fear caller and i've come to eat your heart i've come from near and far and i live in the dark you can run and hide and try and make sense of it all but i will find you and make you mine make you mine i am the fear caller Damn, what an interesting <laughs> little piece. Mm-hmm. What was your first reaction when you heard this? Um, It's so creepy. Yes. It's like an alleyway 
with no light and all you can hear is this voice and then there is like this clicking sound that sounds as if someone's walking behind you yeah um the music is a little bit on the vintage side too it feels like it's almost silent film yeah and you can hear it's definitely you know I don't know they could have intended this to be the way that I took it but there are vocals in the background and mm-hmm. they almost sound like screams. Yeah. Or like yells, like, yeah, but panicked yells. Yeah. But, or they sound in the middle of human and wolf though. Mm. I can, I can hear that. Like you're not sure if it's a human in the woods that needs help or if it's an animal. Mm-hmm. So creepy, so ominous. So ominous. That's a great word for this. It is like a slow fog coming out of the woods at you. And this is the title track. Like, that's quite an interesting mm-hmm. choice to make, right? Like, and I love the creepiness of this. I almost wish that this carried more. Me too. Like, I love, I would have loved that. Give me more yeah. of that. Yeah. Like, yeah, I want to see this on the next record or the fear collar EP. And it's just some like, yeah, some more stuff like this, because this is where things start to turn supernatural. Mm -hmm. And like maybe all of these references to ghosts and all of the other songs, maybe they aren't so uh, figurative and maybe they are so literative. Maybe. So, yeah, this is kind of out of left field, but it still fits. Yeah. Yeah. It's good. And and it's interesting too, because this is really a transition and typically you would hear a transition in the middle of an album or in between songs, like, um, like, uh, the main lovely album, little lonely. Yeah. yeah. like lovely little wow. lonely. Yeah. Yeah. So like, um, this is so different than lost in nostalgia, but like so similar and yeah. And structural and like speed, like it, those are both two small songs. Um, and they're weird ones, right? Like they're, everything about them isn't like the rest of the album, but it still fits in. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's really, it's, it's interesting. It's an interesting placement. Um, that album wasn't recorded too far from where they were. Mm. And Aaron loves the main. Yes. I thought that was so cool. He got so excited in that interview. He did. I love those like, guys. Yes. He's like, which album is it? Which album are you talking about? I love that. And I think like how cool that is to see because the main are also such strong songwriters. Mm-hmm. So that's so cool to see that like they are an influence, right? Like, yeah, very neat, very neat. But I mean, yeah, these were, these both happened in the same area. Yep. The main is a little less like supernatural, but there's actually, you know what? There's this like dreamy, right? There's this like dreamy and like maybe another plane of existence. And this Mm -hmm. is, this does feel very earthly, but it feels like this isn't human. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (sighs) It's really good. And it's a really good, it's a really good transition into why do you bother me? So before we leave, I have more stuff to say about, I feel like it was, was oh yeah, tell me where to to put this, but I I guess 
I guess it belongs with Fear Caller. Yeah, yeah. Tell me, tell so, me more. Um, Joshua Tree is a place for um, high strangeness, is what I kept finding. Um, I had so I had done a project in 2020 for Inktober that I was looking at cryptids and lore and all sorts of stuff and. Um, fear caller was still on my radar because it was still like, you know, a year at that point. And I really liked the album and I had related the song fear caller to the lore of the dark watchers in the Santa Lucia mountain range and, um, the dark watchers, no one's really sure, like what they are or who they are. There's some theories of different, like old tribes or possible spirits they could be, but people see them as they're walking along the mountain range and they, you can kind of look up high into the trees and they see these very, very tall figures with big hats and they just stand there. And it's just like black silhouettes. Like no mm. one has seen more than that. Um, and like not a ton of them, but a good handful at a time. And um, it, it looks like they're watching you go by. And um, I guess everyone's taken the um, good old advice adage of if you don't bother them, they won't bother you because there's no stories of them like chasing anyone or moving and you kind of pass them by and you just don't regard them and you just go on your way and that's what you're supposed to do. Um, I think the Santa Lucia Mountains goes through the Joshua Tree area or Joshua Tree National Park. So they do go along a good portion of California. So it's not like very specific to this area, but I think the two places do intersect um, so it's, it's just kind of interesting to look at that, like lore in that way. Um, we'll talk about it, but he talked about seeing just like all of these rabbits and all of these jackrabbits. And a lot of people will argue that jackrabbits are cryptids. Um, but in Joshua Tree, it, a lot of people go there to have like spiritual experiences. And there's a lot of ayahuasca and mushrooms and other drugs used to like enhance those. But there's a lot of weird stuff and it's in the middle of nowhere and there's really nothing there. And I'm sure the people that reside in that area are straight up weirdos and they've probably seen some stuff. Um, so it's a, it's a really bizarro area to be. Um, so it's interesting that this song kind of came out of that. And um, I don't know, those were all just like the, the weird things that I made a connection to and um, you know, with all the things I'm interested in, but um, Fear Caller was, so there's a bar in Joshua Tree, like I guess there's only one bar and everyone goes there um, if you're in town and there's like nothing else. So there was a character that he kept seeing at this bar of this guy with a rabbit on his shoulder. And he was like, are you serious? Like, is this real? Am I really seeing this? And the guy's name was Fear Caller. The, the album was almost named Jackrabbit because he was seeing so many of these huge jackrabbits everywhere. But then this Fear Caller guy comes along and he decides to call it Fear Caller. Unfortunately, he says nothing else about this. And I have so many questions about who the town is referring to as, oh yeah, that's Fear Caller. Right. And lets him bring a goddamn rabbit into the bar. Yeah, I need to know more about that. Aaron. Me too. Aaron, <laughs> if you want to come on and do a follow-up to this, yeah. I uh we'd love to talk all things strangeness and Joshua Tree, writing and creating art in Joshua Tree and who the fuck fear caller is. Um 
because I want to know why, why, who, mm-hmm. why, what, where, when, what, how, what, what. <laughs> <laughs> how? Mm-hmm. is this a human is fear. When you were saying earlier that you thought fear color was a ghost, mm. I was like, is actual fear is color, color a ghost? ghost? We don't know. I don't know. Yeah. So. But I, re- I remember I, now that you're saying that I do remember him talking about how he was seeing rabbits everywhere and how it was kind of freaking him out and that he went to a bar and there was a guy who had trained a rabbit and he had it on his shoulders. Yeah. Yeah. I he do said remember. It so fast though. Like I do remember so that now. And I'm like, this is not a normal thing. I want to know more. Mm-hmm. It's weird song, but I love it. It's a great song. Yeah. I love it too. I love, I just, wow. I want more Yep. of that creepiness. Yes. So into the last track on the album, which is called Why Do You Bother Me? Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like it's a beautiful and dark opening and it's a really aggressive and desperate ending. Mm-hmm. And it definitely doesn't close the album to be a good thing. No, I thought it was really interesting to end it this way, right? Instead of ending it with I won't miss. You right. could have you could have ended it with that. But the reality is what he's talking about throughout this whole album is stuff he's going to deal with for the rest of his life. Yep. The rest of his life. So it's like, you know, that's, this is a comma, not a period. On and on, my soul is haunted. Mm-hmm. Ghosts, man. I, it's, it's a hard one to swallow. Yeah. I also love the line later on the song. Let's go and haunt a house, ruin someone's life. (laughs) Oof. Um, So good. And then there's a line in the middle where he's talking about something and he's like, get some relief. Well, fuck me. Like I'm, I'm not going to get some relief. Um, It's kind of, it's like, yeah, it's like a song of acceptance, but like, there's a lot of bitterness in here. I'm going to call it anger, but like there's just like strong bitterness. Yeah. And it is like a lot of self-loathing, you know, it's a lot of self, like just insecurities. Um, He's yelling at the very end, like there's frustration. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think it's really raw and really real. And I think that's the best way to end this album because it's, you don't want to give somebody false hope, you know? And that's like, it doesn't get tied up in a ribbon. Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't need to be. And I think a lot of people do that. Um, And I think that's great, but this isn't a movie. This is real life. Yeah. And like you said, it can be a jarring comma, but it is a comma and not Mm -hmm. a period. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I love that it's, I love that it could be a continuation. Um, And I I hope that Aaron puts out another album because I would love to see where things go from this song. Yeah. Um, And I want to hear more, more creepiness. So give give me that. Well, Um, he did say in an interview, I was like really reading deep yesterday. I like to get a sense of who the artist is. And I think you do too. And I think that's it's so interesting to look at everything, the context through there. And, you know, mm-hmm. there's a reason that we, we interview people in the music industry. 
Um, and he was saying his son's favorite Halloween, or his favorite holiday is Halloween. Mm. He always tries to be home for Halloween and his son is still a kid right now. Um, so, you know, Halloween in a very like childlike way, which is really cool. That's the best way for Halloween. Um, but yeah, like even more, I'm like, okay, well, you know, mm-hmm. you have someone in your family that Halloween is their favorite holiday. Like, yeah, let's go creepy. Yeah. Oh, I would love it. I would love it. Yeah. That'd be good. Damn. So that's the album. That's Fear Color by The Almost. Woo! So we can talk about the aspects surrounding this album. Um, you know, there was one video for this and that's where I think that the pandemic absolutely thwarted mm-hmm. a lot of the plans for this album, which is really too bad because um, the chokehold video is a lot to, to swallow. <laughs> yeah, it was, um, it was okay. <laughs> I, I, it, well, it would have been so much better if we could have gotten more answers, which I think would yeah. have probably came in other things. Yeah. Like I would have loved to see a continuation of this character. And like, yeah. I love, I love that, that he kind of chose like a, a rabbit looking mask because that symbolizes everything um that we already talked about you know regarding the symbolism of rabbits and where it was you know recorded and all of that um so I do really enjoy like how stylistically this is a really really cool video I think yeah it, it's super cool but there is it is the beginning of a story and it, you're right. It finished. is. It is sad that it didn't get to finish because I think it could have been really cool. I love the way it's filmed. I think it's really grainy and dirty, and I think that's really yeah. cool. Um, you have to really like pay time attention. Has stopped. Yeah. Both to, in visuals and props and the way they filmed it. Like you're, yeah, you're right with the grain and everything. But yeah, a, a suspended time in here. I think that's. I think that's super cool. One of my favorite things was that. Obviously, you could you could tell by the way that um, certain props were set up that this was like this used to be a really nice living space and now it just isn't anymore, right? It's fallen apart. With people with, with people. other people there, the yeah. best grandpa mug tipped me off to that, mm-hmm. and the live love laugh sign yes! was something that you know a mother would put up. Yeah, so ex- exactly, yeah, and like just the ripped up carpet like just these really beautiful little details that made it really interesting. So I'm like, ah, I wish that there could have been more videos because I would have loved to see what it looked like before and how it transitioned into what it was like. Yes. And I have questions over whether the, it's supposed to be a person in a costume or if it's supposed to be a creature Mm. and the creature thing leads me back to all the like cryptozoology and high strangeness that surrounds the area Mm -hmm. so like almost like you stumble upon this like old house and like you run into this creature and I didn't even necessarily get a sense of like whether that was safe or not you know as a human to like run across this thing Mm. like is it more scared of you than you are of it or should you be scared of it? Like, right. That's a good point. I mean, then we get this ritual at the end and yeah, that's yeah. when things get really weird, which yeah. I loved. You get the sunset ritual that, that this rabbit thing is just 
dancing in the desert with candles surrounding him in a circle, the sun's going down, the, you know, the song's really taking off at this point at the end. And you're like, what is he, I don't know why he's doing that. Mm-hmm. It's so mean? creepy. Going yeah. back to your thought around if it's more scared of you than you are of it. Well, there is that point where like, it like shuts all the windows and like goes and hides in the corner. Yes. So I'm like, what is that? That's what I was thinking. Yeah. Yeah. Like, is this just a mentally ill rabbit or is this like, (laughs) (laughs) it's just waiting for you, but is it a person in a costume or is it a creature? That's two different conversations. Yeah. I think my brain had to be like, oh, this is a person in a costume in order to be okay with it. (laughs) Yeah. Cause that's, that's what we tell us. Well, isn't it like a fucked up Easter bunny rabbit? And that's what parents have to tell their kids. So they, they don't cry into oblivion. Mm -hmm. There's just a man in the costume. Don't worry because we as humans, what is that? That's the uncanny. It's well, it's uncanny Valley is a little different because uncanny Valley is things that should be, or they look like they're human, but we know they're not like robots, like Sophia, the robot, she would be part of the uncanny Valley, really like weird human masks things that like make you uncomfortable because you're like, this is too close to me, uh, but it's not me. Uh, but it's it's part of that like weird, it's because you're dealing with like an anthropomorphic because it was it was like human size and it was walking on two legs and it was kind of acting like a human. And even the way it was crouched sitting like fetal position on the floor was human. So if this was like a cryptid, like it's an anthropomorphized cryptid that's acting mm-hmm. like a human, which is what a lot of cryptids do. Like, and that's what makes people uncomfortable because they're not just animals. Like Mm. they're acting weird and they look weird and I don't know. And they're driving a car. It drove a car and it put tinfoil up in all the windows. What was that about? Did you do know? No. Okay. Cause I don't, it reminded me of bird box. If you've ever seen that movie, except there was a little hole for him to see. You have to like, you can't look at anything in the outside world. There's monsters. Um, I don't know. But the one thing that I did find was interesting is I found an interview where Aaron was saying they were, after they were seeing all these rabbits everywhere, they started to look up um, mythology and look into what the meaning of that could be. Um, And in Native American mythology, there is a rabbit totem and he didn't say why. And I didn't, I I haven't looked into into it um, because I think it's kind of irrelevant for our purpose. And um, I think there's a reason why he didn't say, I don't know, like why he identified, but he, he was like, as soon as I saw the, the um, explanation for like what the rabbit totem is in Native American mythology, like that was me to a T. Hmm. Okay. I'll have to look that up. So it's interesting, like watching the video through that lens and being like, this might be a person in a costume. Yeah. But I don't know. Wow. Either way, it's, it's fucked up because I still don't want to run across a person in a costume in the middle of Joshua Tree, but I don't want to run across a creature. Like both things, I don't know what I'm getting. Yeah, no, I'm good. I'm good. <laughs> yeah, like, I'm, good. I'm just going to hide from that ritual and let that thing go. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, and so that's really like, it's kind of the extent of what we got for visuals for the album. Mm-hmm. Um, I commend them for making all of the song visuals out of pieces of that video. Cause I think it really is a beautiful kind of look at the desert and um, you get some creepy things and some uneasy imagery 
for your like video or for your like song visuals on YouTube and stuff. And that's cool. And it gives it a little bit of a world, um, even though we weren't able to get more of the story um, because of the pandemic. But mm -hmm. um, I think, you know, limitations acknowledged um, just like everything surrounding the visuals for this album were really beautiful and well done. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The, well, cause the album trailer is pretty much just the chokehold, um, like, like bits and pieces of the chokehold video. Yeah. Um, which is funny. Cause I feel like if you had just seen that and then you listened to the album, like if you just saw that, I still feel like you really didn't know what to expect at all. And then the, no. album, the album comes out and it makes a little bit more sense. Cause you do have that like deserty southerny like feel to some of the songs, but, um, I almost feel like it didn't that like didn't really do the album justice like but maybe that's just because of my personal feelings you know yeah I mean you're hard to please with I am um, and that's really why I just like I'm very sad that the pandemic happened when it did and you know now things are moving with under oath and you mean the Panama Canal the Panama Canal closed in on this album and yeah um, I caused think pandemonium caused pandemonium oh <sighs> The pan, the pan pizza really fucked us with getting what we uh, deserved out of this album. Because mm -hmm. I think there was so much more story to tell in the visuals. Um, and I just, I would have loved to see more. And I think that would have strengthened mm -hmm. what was happening in the chokehold video. Yeah. I feel that. Yeah. Oh, I feel that. So we have one more sense to talk a sense, five Sen senses. The five yeah. senses. One sense. more of the we senses. A, one more of the senses. We've covered <laughs> quite a bit. Um, we kind of stumbled onto an interesting opportunity for this episode um, where we were able to connect with um, someone that's worked in the music industry with like touring and setup and um, you know, all of that behind the scenes aid for quite a few years, a friend of Under Oath, friend of Aaron for a while. Um, his name is Brent Kaysen, and he runs a company called Kaysen Candles. You can find them on Etsy. And he started this over the pandemic where he started to make candles. Um, since he was off tour, he was trying to just use his candle making skills to make things to make his friends and family feel better in this like terrible pan pizza of a time um <laughs> and uh he does beautiful amazing work very um like well thought out a lot of tests you know it's he he talks about his process of like going through maybe like seven or eight cent um Collab uh, scent collaborations, scent mixes and, you know, material mixes um, to get to the right point. So it's, it's cool to see someone hone in on this craft so much. Um, but Brent was able to work with Aaron during the pandemic and make a candle um, that was like a collaboration with Aaron Gillespie. It's called Badlands. Um, and it is straight up one of the most like cool candles I've ever earned. And I have, I mean, earned, um, owned, and I am absolutely, I feel like I earned this. You did earn it. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I'm definitely a candle person and so are you. Um, um, so this was a real treat to have this go along with the album. And I had actually gotten this and sent it to Em when I gave her this album because 
Um, I think the Badlands Candle just like sense the um, Fear Collar album so well mm. for me. Like it really put me in an interesting spot listening to that album. I just thought it was so perfect. And I just wanted to see what you thought about it. Yeah. So I, first of all, this, this candle is amazing. It's oak moss, vetiver, and sandalwood is the smell that you get. Um, it burns really, really well. It does not like most candles like settle in the middle and then the wax just like disappears but this is really cool because it settles flat, which means it's a really good candle. Yeah. So really great. Um, I'm happy about that. I, the first listen through, I did not burn the candle. Cause I was just like, I'm, I just need to get my notes. My second listen through, I burned the candle. I agree. I think this is, it's really interesting. So I had not burned the candle at all when you, but until I was making like notes for this album, I was like, I refuse okay. to burn this candle until it's time. <laughs> Um, cause it's special. So, and I've been burning it this whole time that we've been recording as well. Mm-hmm, me too. So, um, it really is, it adds a really interesting element to listening to something and you don't really think about that. You know, what, what are the five senses and, you know, one of them being smell when you're listening to an album, like for me, and we all have have this right there's a song or an album that will bring you right back to where you were what things smelled like what things felt like what things looked like and it's really interesting to do that intentionally when you're listening to an album so I found that to be a really cool experience it's like sound tracking with a scent yeah and for me like I more thought about this scent as in like the process in making this album like mm-hmm. they were, they were in Joshua tree. I'm sure they were burning candles and scents, whatever. And that's kind of what I thought about. Like, what was Aaron, what was Aaron, what were Aaron's five senses when he was making this album? That's a really interesting way to think about it. Yeah. So I was like kind of channeling like that a little bit more than, um, than a smell of the album. Um, mm-hmm. so that's kind of what I like walked away from was like oh man like I wonder like now I want to know like were they burning like lavender like incense or patchouli or like what was the deal like what were what was the vibe there because yeah Brett was so nice enough to give us a little bit of a backstory on kind of how this came up like about and um you know he and Aaron just worked so closely on it he would just work on something and send it to Aaron and then work on something else and send it to Aaron until eventually they came to an agreement on, um, you know, what this candle should be. And it ended up being this oak moss, oak moss, vetiver and sandalwood mix. Um, and, uh, so they had it after, but maybe case and candles will send the next album, which is kind of cool to think about. Mm. I don't know. That's so crazy. Just like, yeah, like that's not a sense that you usually think of with music. You think about um, sight and sound, like mm-hmm. sound number one, sight would be secondary, but that's it's like all you're going to get out of it. Right. So adding scent to that and scent is like, you know, people have their signature scents, like their perfumes and colognes and scents that they wear. And we, you know, at like the human experience, which this album is so much about the human experience is like scent is a big one, right? Mm-hmm. Christmas trees and summer grass and um the things we eat you know the meals we make 
the people we love, um, all of that, you know? So to add that to music is, is so cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, love that. I love yeah. that this was like an additional aspect of, of this, this yeah. time. Yeah. I mean, this was so cool. And, um, I think it's just even cooler that it's someone with pristine candle skills as Emily pointed out. Yeah. So. It's a very good candle. I also Great. did listen to his podcast um, yes. Oh, yeah, yeah. I'm glad you mentioned that. So yeah. Brent and Aaron sat down and did a podcast together on Brent's podcast called Crossed Paths. Mm-hmm. Um, you're looking for episode, um, let's see, episode number three. It's just labeled Aaron Gillespie under the almost. And they talk a lot about this album mm-hmm. and a lot about a bunch of other stuff. And they've worked together in the past. Brent's worked with Under Oath's crew before. Um and it was a very interesting conversation that I, I definitely recommend um, anyone who finds a liking for this album and a liking for Aaron, like goes and checks out and a liking even for, I think Brent's a great interviewer. Yeah, he is. And they have really great chemistry and like, you can tell they've been friends for a long time. So yeah. that's great. You know, it's not like you're just like bringing someone random on your podcast it's so it makes a difference um and it was it was really well done I liked just like listening to them talk back and forth and talk about NASCAR and yeah like, that was cool <laughs> I was like oh your dad would love this <laughs> I I showed him those bits and he thought it was so cool because I also grew up with a, a a family that was very into NASCAR but up in New Hampshire um so it is always funny to like watch Aaron talk about NASCAR because like mm-hmm. I know what he's talking about. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, I'll never escape NASCAR. But it's it's a it's a cool little you know extra aspect. But it was funny to hear them talk about that um, and just everything and and neat to see their connection and then neat to think about you know how even though they were sending this candle back and forth as it was being you know perfected. Um, it was, it was like friends, right? So, mm-hmm. you know, your friend, especially when you've been friends that long. So it's cool to see what you'll come up with. So I'm sure it was, it was like cool for Aaron to get that experience of like, my friend thinks of me in this way, like this mm-hmm. is how it's coming across. This is how they're going to express their perception of me through scent. That's mm-hmm. so interesting. It is really interesting. I love it. It's great. It's so cool. So cool. so I think that wraps us up it does Um, thanks for coming along on the ride of our uh new structure and Mm -hmm. um taking such a deep dive into this record with us that uh we love so much yes thank you guys um and next time we're going to be talking about the bleachers the bleachers. Are the they bleachers. called the bleachers? Are they called no, bleachers? it's just called bleachers. They're okay. just called bleachers. <laughs> I, like, I thought it was bleachers, but it's I just guess. it's just bleachers. And the album's called Strange Desires. We're talking about the bleachers, the strange desires. The bleachers, the strange desires. <laughs> <laughs> Can't wait. Can't wait. Okay. I'm gonna end this now. Okay. Thanks for listening to Let's Talk Records. Audio engineering is by Emily McLeod, and graphics are by Jen Evans. Let's Talk Records is part of the Trainwreck Entertainment Network. Thanks for listening in to this podcast. This show is part of the Trainwreck Entertainment Podcast Network. 
For more content, go check out trainwreck.com. You know, you might just find something else on there that you like. <laughs>